Cool. 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 I know, I can't believe you don't whip your own cream here. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun. Hi everyone, welcome back uh, for all of you returning and hello to anyone who's new, please uh, like and subscribe. Today on Speak Lord, um, I'm joined by Hayden Cowart, who's a student at Boston College um, studying theology. Uh, my second favorite Texan. Who's so. number one? <laughs> Sadie. Sadie? Yeah. And she doesn't count. <laughs> my, set, my, my favorite male Texan. Um. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Flo, Hayden, what's the crack? What's the crack? <laughs> None. No crack anymore. No crack? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so today we're going to talk a little bit about um, Hayden's vocation story, how he came to be Catholic. So you've been Catholic for how long, Hayden? <laughs> One, two, three, like five months. Five months. So <laughs> yeah. during the pandemic. Since, since May. Since May. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's been good so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been a ride. Yeah. So yeah, I was awesome. supposed to be confirmed on Easter. And then the world went into lockdown, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was postponed. And then ended up being received on a Pentecost. That's awesome. Pandemic. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll talk about how you got there. <laughs> it might be a good place to start. So, uh, you grew up Southern Baptist, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Grew in a grew up in a Southern Baptist family. Um, yeah. Jeez. Uh, and when I was when I was pretty young, I got into comparative religion, theology, uh, kind of locus classicus nerd story for me is that when I was in Chicago with my family, I ventured away from the whole party and went to the basement of a Barnes and Noble and found a book called uh, History of God by Karen Armstrong. And as I was flipping through it, I came across a story of the Pythagoreans, so Pythagoras and his followers, and. Uh, yeah, Karen just had like a very whimsical way of talking about these philosophers and their love for mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know really what it was about that, but I was kind of enamored <laughs> and wanted to know more. So I ended up getting the book, finished it, and this is like in sixth grade. And I remember whenever we landed back in Texas at the end of the vacation, I turned to my brothers in the car as I finished it. <laughs> I told my oldest brother, I was like, this is my first big book that I finished reading. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a nerd. Yeah, I know. But my big brother was like, do you think I care? I have no interest in this. Anyways, yeah, so I kind of like started this journey of being interested in uh, other religions, philosophy, theology, stuff like that. Um, and I went to a private Baptist school where we had religious education. So in seventh grade, we had, uh, I think it was just a biblical class. And so I asked my biblical teacher all sorts of questions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Anyways, yeah, but long story short, um, kind of around 7th or 8th grade, I ended up leaving the church for a number of reasons, leaving like the Baptist church for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, and then from there, there are kind of like a million different ways to approach the story. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'd say sort of like, um, like personal losses, and then sort of like uh, intellectual questions are kind of like two of the main threads in my testimony. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was young, my dad passed mm -hmm. away. When I was about eight years old, my dad passed away. And then pretty much from the time that I was eight until about 18, one person that was close to me passed away just about every single year. Wow. Um, so my dad passed away when I was uh, about eight years old, uh, an uncle who I was really close to. Um, 
And kind of was like the closest thing I had to a friend when I was growing up, uh, Uncle John. He passed away a few years later. My dad's mother passed away. Anyway, so kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of loss, like, as I was growing up. Um, yeah, obviously, that naturally brought up a lot of questions under the heading of theodicy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I don't think I would have pinned it down in that way when I was younger. In retrospect, though, you can kind of see how those um, threads of grief were kind of woven into these more properly theological questions that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, yeah, but um, walked away from the faith, um, and then a lot of my difficulties with, uh, yeah, my mental health and struggling to feel connected to students, uh, yeah, and at my, at my high school, um, and really kind of like grasping for any sort, sort of firm existential foundation and kind of floundering mm-hmm. at anything I was attempting to grab onto, um, eventually led me in my junior year to do half online, half brick and mortar schooling. Um, so I kind of justified it to my parents by saying I wanted to have more time to like pursue independent study, which was a half truth. Um, but a big part of it was because I was, uh, becoming incredibly self-destructive, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, yeah. Um, and then kind of reached a low point my junior year of high school. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but yeah, it was in- incredibly, I mean, suicidal ideation and, uh, kind of, yeah, doing a lot of things to, um, to put it mildly, kind of like undermine my health, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Anyways, when I reached a real rock bottom that year, um, I, I decided I really, uh, I, I just realized how capable I was of vanishing from the earth, that that was a real possibility that up to that point had kind of seemed distant. Um, and, uh, yeah, so really in, in my junior year, I'd begun reading Fyodor Dostoevsky, who is a, a Russian author, mm-hmm. and kind of had been attracted to him because the way he approached a lot of, uh, personal philosophical questions, took the question of, uh, suffering, death, those sort of grand questions very seriously and didn't come across as too abstract mm-hmm. or um, superficially apologetic and dismissive. Anyway, so I appreciate like the gravity of how he approached art. That was originally why I was attracted to him. And then my junior year, I started reading his book, The Brothers Kamratsov, and fell in love with the lead character of the book, Alyosha. Um, but kept getting up to like about a third of the way through the book and didn't want to go any further. Because I kept coming to this point in the book where it was clear that action was about to begin turning for the worse. <laughs> Not that it was good at all to the start because it's Russian. Okay. Everything's miserable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kept stopping at that, you know, like about a third way through the book and would just start over, over and over and over again. But after I kind of had this sort of uh, catastrophic moment in my own life, um, I decided to finally like, push through and finish the book. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a moment, pretty much right after where I kept stopping, where that character, Alyosha, his mentor has passed away. He has, like, this great religious mentor who he idolizes and he believes is a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, but after his mentor passes away, he enters into this, uh, like, in, onto the verge of despair. Mm-hmm. 
that has this sort of religious awakening or interior conversion. Um, and something about the way that Dostoevsky presented it, I don't know, led me to feel like I had my first encounter with Christ. Mm -hmm. To me, like, the, the best way to describe it was like, it was the first time I felt like I actually understood who people were talking about when they talked about Christ. Okay. Um, and sort of like seeing the face of Christ obliquely and like through a fog, but like really just feeling mesmerized by like the beauty of Jesus. Um, which is kind of mm. bizarre, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so from that point on, even though, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, uh, like atheistic agnostic, agnostic or whatever, but uh, from there I was like, I wanted to adopt <laughs> as much of Christ's teachings into my worldview mm -hmm. as, was <laughs> as was possible yeah. and compatible with my worldview at the time. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm going way overboard with this explanation, no, you're but good. yeah, good. yeah. But anyway, so I kind of began uh, a process of approaching Christianity with fresh eyes, mm -hmm. um, which led me to encounter a lot of Eastern Orthodox and Anglican and Roman Catholic uh, figures for the first time. So Fyodor Dostoevsky is Russian Orthodox. So okay. I began looking into Eastern Christianity, their mystical traditions, and stuff like that, which was an entirely new world. To me, um, and then I don't know how, but for some reason, I had begun reading a book called Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton, and it's this, his spiritual memoir of how he went from being um, a sort of uh, mainstream French atheistic intellectual mm -hmm. to becoming a Trappist mm -hmm. monk. <laughs> wow. Yeah, anyways, and so I read that story, and the way that he described the Eucharist <laughs> was utterly enchanting. Yeah. Um, so I was in a weird position because now I found Christ incredibly compelling and attractive. And then I had this immense draw to the Eucharist mm -hmm. and I had no analog for it in my own life. Yeah. I didn't have something in my own life that was comparably sacred. Um, and I remember actually after I read this scene of Thomas Merton converting and receiving the Eucharist for the first time, I went to a nearby uh, Catholic church. I had no idea how services worked and stuff yeah. like that. So, but I went to like a nearby church, and it was a Tuesday. Uh, and, of course, the main church was closed. Or not, of course, but it was closed. Uh, but then I saw their small uh, chapel off to the side, mm -hmm. their mini church. <laughs> and so I went to their mini church, and the doors were open, and I came in. And I had no idea what it was at the time, but it was in the middle of Eucharistic adoration. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah and they, what age were you at that point? This is when I was uh, 17 or okay, so. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they only had adoration once a week for like a one hour window, wow. so I came in just like just the perfect time. Mm -hmm. um, but came in and was waiting for the service to start. <laughs> I was waiting for the preacher to come out in the suit, and, you know, just to get tell me, yeah, having an old call and whole business. Anyways, but yeah, I was like, when's the service going to start? So I was waiting, and then all these ladies are just there adoring the host, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, again, I don't really know how to articulate. What, what it was about adoration. Yeah. But it was just like one of the most moving experiences I've ever had because yeah. I was in the middle of the service and I was just sitting there for like <laughs> an hour waiting yeah. for it to start. Finally realized that they were just there to pray um, and imitated what they were doing. And yeah, just like a strong sense of uh, the same face that I had seen in this book mm -hmm. being present in the room. Wow, that's so cool. That's, yeah. I love that you were there just for the one hour. Like, there's no <laughs> yeah. such thing as coincidence. Yeah. Like, the Lord led you there for that time to start the, yeah. the ball rolling. 
Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so that was all kind of like, um, kind of like major milestones in my journey towards Christianity in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also after this sort of like catastrophic moment, my junior year, I told my parents that I wanted to take a gap year after high school, so I could take some time just to like, yeah, work through some foundational questions about what I believed, what I was, yeah, what I was going to build my life on, basically. Yeah. Um, and then to stop being so. Uh, obsessed with myself and navel gazy and try to be more oriented towards serving others. Yeah, you still have to work on that a little bit. Yeah, I know. It's a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Please, Lord. Yeah. I'm kidding. Um, what was it going to... Yeah. Um, so you took a gap year. Sorry. Yeah, I took a gap year. Yeah, it's okay. You just entered my pride. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, so I took the gap year, and then that's where I ended up uh, becoming Christian, just in general, mm-hmm. um, kind of through a lot of apologetics and stuff like that. But then I'd say especially reading the Gospel of Matthew, start to finish, there's kind of a lot that was going on. But yeah, again, just like the person of Christ being irresistibly attractive, and then kind of that paired with apologetics kind of addressing a lot of these intellectual reservations that I had, mm-hmm. um, kind of opened the way, and yeah, sort of flipped everything for me, so um, became increasingly bizarre <laughs> from then on, increasingly weird for Jesus since then. I freak for Jesus. I <laughs> yeah. It. I love it. So how did you become Anglican then, after having that profound experience with the Eucharist, like what led you to the Anglican Church? Yeah, I think a big part of it was that I was intensely attracted to Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism, just more traditional expressions of the face. Uh, of the faith, <laughs> of the face of God, <laughs> yeah, of the faith. <laughs> we can edit that out, right? Yeah, we can. Edit it all yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, yeah, there were a lot of obviously uh, dogmatic commitments that I wasn't prepared to make, and I, I felt very much out of my depth um, in approaching a lot of those questions. So I think part of it, hopefully, was a bit of epistemic humility. Um, I think another part of it was maybe an overly rationalistic approach. To thinking about matters of faith, mm-hmm. so feeling as if I had to lay down um, philosophical and historical proofs um, item by item mm-hmm. for the faith. Um, that's maybe an overstatement for how I was thinking, but um, generally, yeah, um, especially when it came to um, the meaning of holy tradition, the authority of scripture, um, and then especially the authority of the papacy, those mm-hmm. are big questions that um, I realized we're way above my pay grade, um, and kind of wanted some time to really, um, yeah, research them, pray about where my ecclesial home was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big part of it too is it's, um, Anglicanism's self-branding as the middle way, the via media, okay. um, was attractive. Mm-hmm. So that, um, St. John Henry Newman, before he was a saint, <laughs> he's still, he's still poor, poor Protestant. <laughs> Just kidding, mom. <laughs> um, oh, we have to give a shout out to your mom. <laughs> she'll be too happy. She'll be all too pleased. We can't do it. Uh, but uh, yeah, but he he talked before he converted to Catholicism. He talked about Anglicanism as the middle way mm-hmm. of the Reformation between the extremes, the supposed extremes of Roman Catholicism, and um, yeah, John Calvin, Martin Luther, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and in the Anglican tradition, they emphasize um, the supremacy of Scripture, 
as the only infallible source of doctrine for Christians. Um, but, like, interpreted through holy tradition. Um, and they recognize, usually, the first four ecumenical councils as authoritative. Um, anyway, so that, that was attractive, because I had come to Christianity through the, the works of traditional Christians, especially uh, Catholics and Orthodox. Um, yeah, and, and then, I mean, probably most of all because of John Henry Newman himself. So anyways, that's probably, probably a big part of it. And then two, uh, Anglicans um, affirm the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, although they, they like, quibble about transubstantiation. It's kind of an open question for them. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So, what started you thinking about converting into Catholicism, or like entering the RCIA process, or like what? Yeah. Started that. Did yeah, you? I think I think part of it was um, really for like the five, the first five years that I was a Christian, I pretty consistently engaged with the theology of. Catholics and Orthodox. Okay. So it was always an active question in my yeah. mind. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty acute sense, uh, I don't know, of, um, I guess you could say, like, spiritual alienation in the Anglican Church. I remember one time I walked into uh, a Sunday service at my church, and I loved my church. It was, like, an amazing community, and I loved my priests, all that sort of stuff. But I walked into the church one day, um, and I, I, I had a strong sense of just, like, this church being an island in this vast ocean um, and not having this rich, ongoing connection uh, to the communion of saints, mm. which is not to say that, you know, that they're utter, that is the reality, but I just had that, it was like a palpable sense of not feeling connected to uh, the larger Christian tradition in a way that was alive and real and that really shaped our community mm -hmm. and self-understanding. Yeah, and so that, that sort of sense, I kind of walked around with that, with that sense of hunger for a tradition um, or a church that could, uh, I guess, credibly trace its identity back to the church that Christ said he was going to build on St. Peter, mm -hmm. you know, and lead into all truth. Um, yeah, so with that, like, kind of every year I would try to focus on a few questions that were really kind of... Um, yeah, um, I don't know, flashpoint issues are just points of concern for me doctrinally. Um, the last major one being, uh, papal primacy, mm -hmm. whether I could, um, in good conscience affirm the teachings of Vatican I concerning the Pope's authority, especially vis-a-vis -vis other bishops and, uh, ecumenical councils. So, yeah, the last year... Of me being an Anglican, I spent a lot more time focusing on the claims of Vatican I, um, and then sort of like the, the early Christian patristic testimony um, to judge if those claims were consonant mm -hmm. with the historical record, um, and really with an eye towards uh, the development of the papacy being legitimately, uh, like a, being a legitimate development or being uh, fortuitous development. So yeah, and I think kind of once that intellectual question fell into place, and I did feel that Catholic claims were consistent with the historical record, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the last reservation. The last safari. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I was incredibly attracted to both traditions spiritually already, like the prayer traditions, the rosary, devotion to Mary, mm-hmm. um, especially the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, but between the Orthodox and Roman Catholics, um, I would go back and forth and sympathizing with both of their claims about the primacy of Peter. Okay. Yeah. So, and then it helps, too, that I was dating a wonderful Catholic woman mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, confident. But those claims, I was like, well, maybe I should just go ahead and be Catholic then. Yeah. <laughs> She's pretty nice. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so... Do you want to talk about the first time then that you ever met a Catholic priest? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was not this last summer, but the summer before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, growing up, I'm sure I rubbed shoulders with some priests. Yeah. Um, maybe I was friends with a bunch of Jesuits. <laughs> you never know where they are. They're always hiding. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> They're everywhere. Um, <laughs> sorry, Father Monica. Um, yeah, no, so... Um, but two summers ago, I went on an intellectual slash spiritual retreat with Dominicans of the Eastern Province out in California. Um, and uh, the, the Dominican who was leading it was Father Gregory Pine, who, uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of become like a mid-Catholic celebrity at this point. But uh, yeah, incredibly charming, incredibly intelligent. Um, and uh, it was, that retreat was kind of like one of my first time meaning and befriending Catholic priests, Mm -hmm. and then also my first experience of the beauty of the Mass. Um, Up to that point, yeah, I had just had the experience of tedium, boredom, Mm. um, and sort of like, I don't know, uh, not to, yeah, Um, anyway, so a lot of the complaints that people have about um, Catholic liturgy, um, but, um, but it, it, there, it, at the, uh, I think it's the St. Joseph Abbey, something like that. But, um, yeah, just having an experience of the beauty and reverence and majesty of the Catholic Mass. Yeah. And I remember one particular moment where I was watching, this is going to sound so weird, I hope Father Gregory doesn't watch this, but watching <laughs> Father Gregory during the Mass yeah. uh, while they were doing the scripture readings, and he just looked absorbed in contemplation mm-hmm. and just utterly tranquil. Yeah. Um, and then whenever they were consecrating the elements, um, like, there are a number of the Dominicans were con-celebrating. And just, I don't know, the image of having these priests surrounding the altar, just, I don't know, it, it, it was one of the first images that I saw and was in the middle of, where it, it just resonated that this was, like, a heavenly reality, and that, like, it, it just became plausible that we were participating in what the angels are always doing, mm-hmm. you know, worshiping God around the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so cool. And so, yeah, like the, yeah, so, yeah. pretty much the first time I met a priest, and then the first time I had an experience of the beauty of the liturgy, I was kind of like, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> My poor girlfriend. But yeah, <laughs> I was incredibly attracted to that life. Yeah. Kind of the first time that I saw it up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hayden, we can't have you on the show without talking about St. Basil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's who's St. Basil? Your best friend. My best friend. After yeah, me. Right. Yes. Yeah, your second yes, yes, best yes, friend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, how did you discover St. Basil? <laughs> yeah, it's disappointing, <laughs> but I think I actually discovered St. Basil through Wikipedia. 
<laughs> I don't know how I landed there, honestly. Um, I think it was actually because I was first reading St. John of Damascus. Um, and then in wanting to better understand St. John of Damascus, who is kind of like, he's usually taken as like the end of the patristic era. Um, I think in trying to understand John Damascus, I was looking into uh, the Holy Hierarchs, um, which is St. Basil, John Chrysostom, and Gregory of Nazianzus. Um, but yeah, in this article that I was reading about Basil, I was uh, struck by the balance between his erudition and his more primary concern for the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, so you always get the sense that he's impatient with church politics. He's always impatient with theological squabbling. His letters are just littered with him mocking people who are arguing about every last detail of theology. Um, yeah, so I resonated with that. <laughs> he just wanted people to shut up and obey Jesus. <laughs> like, you're so right. That's, you're so right. Um, so I think I found that incredibly attractive, mm-hmm. that he was uh, a man of great learning. He was philosophical philosophically um, astute, but then, yeah, had a more fundamental commitment to serving the poor, uh, leading divine liturgy, uh, and just, yeah, responding to the the law of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So from the first moment that you met him, were you sure that he was going to be your confirmation saint? <laughs> actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, actually. Love yeah. at first sight. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was actually before I had even decided to become Catholic. <laughs> yeah, I just decided that regardless of what I became, Orthodox Catholic, mm-hmm. um, that I was going to make the journey with Basil. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I just felt I don't know. I felt like a deep kinship with him from the start. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because like a few months into it, um, I kind of went around telling people about Basil and all this doing sort of stuff because yeah. I'm obnoxious. I can't keep things to myself. <laughs> Um, but a few months into it, I was like, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I was too quick to claim Basil. Maybe John Damascus would have been better. Maybe, like, Gregory of Nyssa is cooler. Yeah. All this different sort of stuff. Um, so I began to doubt, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but then it's been interesting because I was like, I, I just didn't understand why I was so attracted to him from yeah. the beginning and continued to feel confident that, like, I just had, like, a special bond with him. Yeah. But then when I began reading his letters and homilies, every single time that I would go into his works... I just felt like I was being specifically addressed. And I don't know, he was describing the Christian life in a way that, I don't know, I, I felt like I specifically needed to hear uh, someone exhorting me and calling me to something higher mm-hmm. in the way that he does. Um, That's awesome. And then he became your drinking buddy. And then he became my drinking buddy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, so, yeah. So after I decided to become Catholic, I went back to, uh, uh, or I, I started RCIA and it's Christmas break last year. Um, and they told us like over the break, begin thinking about who your confirmation saint's going to be, all this different sort of stuff. And so then I took a little while and then finally, like really decided on St. Basil. Um, cause I was also considering like St. Francis of Assisi and a few other people. Um, anyway, so I chose St. Basil, and then one week later, I was in Dallas, and uh, I was in the kitchen with my stepdad, and he was complaining, because he's like, so where did my bottle of whiskey go? I had, like, just gotten it last week, and yada yada, and so he, like, shouted up with my oldest brother, mm-hmm. and uh, my oldest brother steals everyone's food, everyone's drinks. That sounds like you. It does not sound familiar at all. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I didn't know me. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my brother apparently had just, like, downed. My stepdad's whole bottle of whiskey. We pray for my brother, by the way. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so yeah, so that like that scene happens. I forget about it, and later I'm throwing something in the trash, 
And in it, I see the label for this whiskey bottle. Yeah. And I just see Hayden on it. (laughs) So I was like, well, that's interesting. So I pull it out. And then sure enough, the name of the whiskey company is Basil Hayden's. Mm-hmm. So cool. We should have had a bottle here. For we should have had a bottle. Please give me one for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take all the whiskey you want to give me. All right. Yeah. But then something, something cool that I actually just learned like two weeks ago uh, when I was listening to a podcast. These two guys were talking about their favorite bottles of whiskey mm-hmm. because we got to like pretend to be macho and stuff. Um, that's why I have the mustache. What do you mean, pretend? <laughs> pretend, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm really good Alpha. Stuff. Yeah, very alpha over here. Uh, they were talking about their favorite whiskeys, and then uh, Matt Fratt was saying his favorite cheap whiskey was Basil Hayden's. And I was like, oh, that's cool, I'm friends with Matt Fratt. And then, uh, and then he said, I don't know if this is true, I feel like Matt Fratt's just making this up. Um, but Matt Fratt said that they specifically designed the bottle to look like a priest wearing a chasuble. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when I decided for sure. Like, I, de- I definitely have to be a priest now. It's a sign. It's a sign from God. Yeah. yeah. Basil's like Hayden, drink whiskey and become a Catholic priest. <laughs> it's very clear. It's very clear. Yes. <laughs> so that's when I knew I was Texan. <laughs> that's when I knew that Basil was my saint, and that's when I knew I had to be a Catholic priest. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. So I've just been appointed as senior coordinator for worship of oh, the new wow. group at school. Oh, cool! Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard about the group? No, I haven't. No. Could you tell okay. me about it? It's called Evangelium, and <laughs> you're the founding member, so... <laughs> oh, wow! Yeah, that's a big responsibility. <laughs> do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're actually both uh, classmates at the School of Theology and Ministry, mm-hmm. Boston College. Um, so we are starting up a project called Evangelium. Um, I'm like conflicted. Should I talk yeah, to you about this? Who am I talking to about this? <laughs> I'll tell Brianna about it. Tell, tell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the basic mission is to help uh, reorient Catholics' self understanding to them understanding themselves first and foremost to be missionary disciples who've been brought into the riches of the gospel not for their own sake, but for the sake of the whole world. <laughs> like we're called in so we can be sent out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think. Um, it's largely a response to the new evangelization, which is uh, a call put up by St. John Paul II, the Great, um, <laughs> for, um, yeah, for Catholics to revitalize, one, their own internal reception of the gospel and hearing the good news for themselves, and then letting the fruit of that be a life of repentance and uh, coming under the yoke of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of that naturally expressing itself as evangelization. So drawing other people into the life of the church. Um, Yeah, so like drawing people to salvation in Christ through his church. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So there's four four different like areas that we're going to focus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the primary primary focus is evangelization. Mm -hmm. So we're going to we're going to break it up though into like evangelization, worship, charity, and then what we're going to call ongoing formation. Um, And really, those three other categories are all in service of evangelization. Mm -hmm. Um, But then for, um, yeah, for for charity, I mean, the the basic idea, the basic reason why we're breaking it up in that way is because we don't want to convey the message that um, being a Christian or being an evangelist is about accepting noetically or communicating abstractly these propositions Mm -hmm that people just, you know, pay intellectual assent to. Um, but rather, becoming a Christian, accepting the gospel, 
is something that penetrates your heart, mm -hmm. transforms it, and then necessarily results in you, you know, uh, living a life with the fruits of repentance. Um, yeah, so then um, when it comes to um, the, the charity work that we're going to be doing, we're going to be focusing on ministry for the unborn and ministry for the homeless around Boston, mm -hmm. working with some groups that are already around the city and kind of just like going shoulder to shoulder with them to serve uh, people who are most in need in the city. And then when it comes to uh, worship, we really want that to be an opportunity to create deeper fellowship with the Catholic community in Boston area, but especially at our college. Mm -hmm. um, so right now we're, we're kind of thinking about really drawing people into uh, adoration, like yeah. Eucharistic adoration. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, yeah, and then for ongoing formation, it's a much broader category for anything that helps um, a Christian more truly be uh, conformed into the likeness of Christ. Um, you know, as St. Paul says, like, uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, so in that, we're going to be offering guest lectures and spiritual workshops that help people better appreciate um, the intellectual warrants, the historical merit of a lot of the traditional doctrines of the faith. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, what do Catholics believe about the inspiration and authority of Scripture? What is the nature of holy tradition, like, vis-a-vis -vis Scripture? Um... Um, and then when it comes to the spiritual workshops, um, sharing a lot of the spiritual riches of Catholicism, just that like are embarrassingly scattered all over the place, <laughs> um, and helping invite students into that. So we're going to have, uh, priests, monks, friars, sisters, all sorts of people come to help Catholics, uh, learn or rediscover a lot of the, um, yeah, spiritual, uh, practices of the church. So how to pray. Um, how do you pray a rosary and not only just like rote just, yeah, just mechanic yeah. performance, but also entering into the mysteries mm -hmm. of the rosary all as a means of like encountering the person of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, but then also we're kind of still brainstorming what else the ongoing information could be, but that's the, the general vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. So for anyone who's watching, maybe in the Boston area, do you want to mm -hmm. give the website where they can find it? Oh gosh, it's a long URL. It but is? yeah, it's, yeah, no, but it's, yeah, it's, so it's sites.google.com slash view slash evangelium dot stm one zero five five nine six yeah wait we can the numbers actually on at the end no 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 yeah and you have to break the code to get in okay yeah there's a password we can put the we can put the link we can put the link in the youtube video yeah yeah we can do that that'd be easier or we can make them work for it so entitled nowadays, you know, they really should Everything is handed to them. I know. Can't stand people. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Um, wait, before we go, should we give a shout out to your mom? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She'll just be, her ego gets so large. Hi, mom and Catherine. <laughs> Hi, mom. Love you. Yes, you do. Yeah, I talk about her all the time. I do. Yeah, I do love it all. <laughs> I love it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was so much fun, and it was good to talk about your story. Yeah, thanks for um, having me on. Yeah, and we'll be praying for you, and you better be praying for us. 
Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when you deserve it. Because that's like how the gospel works. <laughs> Based on merit? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for watching, everyone. Uh, please uh, like uh, our channel and subscribe. And we'll see you in the next one. God bless. <laughs> you looked at the wrong camera. <laughs>